Hello, and welcome to episode 45 of the Movie Marathoners podcast. I'm your host, Monty, and joining me this week is Chinlin from the Bingeables podcast. Thanks for being here, Chinlin. How are you doing this evening? Hey, Mati. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm actually doing pretty good on for a Monday, so thanks for asking. Yeah, that is awesome to hear. I My Monday was okay, but it's still a Monday. I mean, you know, so it can only be so good, but it's good to hear that you're doing well. So Chinlin and I collaborated last month when we reviewed the HBO show Silicon Valley on her podcast, and I thought that was a ton of fun. We had a really in-depth conversation about it. I believe both the spoiler-free and the spoiler-filled episodes will be out by the time you are listening to this, so definitely be sure to check those out on her channel. On today's episode, we will be reviewing another HBO show, that being Westworld. So it is Monday, May 4th, may the 4th be with you, and the third season finale just aired last night. So what we'll do is we'll start with a very brief spoiler-free section about the show as a whole, and then we'll run into spoiler territory where we can talk freely about the third season, the season finale, and where we think the show is going to go from here. And as always, we will finish out the episode with a point two section where we discuss what else we've been watching. So first, let's just read a synopsis of Westworld. It is an incredibly vague synopsis I ripped straight from IMDb. It says... Set at the intersection of the near future and the reimagined past, explore a world in which every human appetite can be indulged without consequence. Westworld stars Evan Rachel Wood, Thandie Newton, Ed Harris, and Jeffrey Wright. It is co-created by Jonathan Noland and Lisa Joy. Do you know where you are? I'm in a dream. That's right, Dolores. You're in a dream. Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to Westworld. No orientation. No guidebook. All our hosts are here for you. In this world, you can be whoever you want. Are you real? Well, if you can't tell, does it matter? All right, Chinlin, so I thought we would start off just with some general thoughts about the show. This is a show that I have a strong love-hate relationship with. I love parts of it, and I hate a lot of other parts of it. Uh, I'm going to do my best to not be over overwhelmingly negative, because I think that's not a very productive thing to do, even in podcast form. But why don't you start and just tell me your general thoughts on the show and maybe why people should watch it. So I, what you just said is kind of what I also agree with. I'm having a love-hate relationship with Westworld. <laughs> I think it's very common, especially with fans starting season two. But just a general spoiler-free overview, I think Westworld is an excellent, well-made uh, show that explores a lot of philosophical themes, uh, such as um, gaining... Uh, conscientiousness is that the word for it i think so i think so yeah (laughs) and then um exploring the idea of having free will um is it the same for both robots and humans uh i think it's it's just a really well-made show i don't know what else to say that doesn't get into spoilers um aside from that the the action sequences are excellent. The cinematography is really, really beautiful. Uh, One of my favorite episodes is actually in season two, and it had a really good cinematography. And all of the performances are stellar. I've never had, I've never complained about acting when it comes to this show. Yeah, I think I agree with everything that you're saying. I guess just for people who have no idea what this show is, and that synopsis didn't really help too much, This, I guess, the way I could describe the show is it is a sci-fi show where the premise is that the ultra-rich in the near future can go to a kind of theme park-esque place that um, allows you to kind of be transported into a uh, Western civilization where everybody in the world or in the theme park is they're robots. They're lifelike robots that act and they don't know that they're robots or anything like that. So you can kind of live out your wildest and most violent and whatever fantasies 
in this theme park without any repercussions because they're not human or are they or does it matter? It's really creepy when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. It's a park where you can just go, you could do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the, like the main conceits that you have to give the show is that like I think the show is kind of um negative in its portrayal of humanity for the most part where it'll say that oh, you know, people will do these things and it, that's a little hard for me to believe like I don't know too many people who would if they were given the chance to go to this park, would do some of the things that some of the characters do in this show. But, I mean, it makes for a really interesting show and a really unique premise, which is, I think, the point. And this is also based on a novel by Michael Crichton, who also did Jurassic Park. It was also a movie at one point, I believe. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, HBO shows, they have great production design and the actors are fantastic. I mean, you've got Ed Harris and Evan Rachel Wood and Jeffrey Wright and Thandie Newton. You have Anthony Hopkins um, for parts of seasons and things like that. So I think this show has uh, kind of that pedigree that you expect from an HBO show. Uh, Chinlin, so you mentioned a little bit that you have that love-hate relationship. Why shouldn't people watch this show? Or maybe, I guess the better question is, would you recommend this show despite having a love-hate relationship with it? It depends on who I'm talking to. So I would not recommend it to somebody who mostly watches reality shows like The <laughs> Bachelor. Yeah. And if if anyone, if anyone listening um, knows me, or has heard me rant a little bit about reality shows on my own podcast. Like, I just, I hate The Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, would I, why, why shouldn't people watch this show? It just gets really confusing starting in season two. And season three is not as confusing, but it's just a big investment of your time if you're going to get into it and really uh, follow along the stories that uh, they're telling. So, but if people do want to get invested into it, do you think that the positives outweigh the negatives? I think so. I mean, <laughs> my pause suggests no, but I also have recency bias right now. So since mm -hmm. we just finished watching the season three finale, like... I can I can argue why the positives do not outweigh the benefits, but <laughs> I always just as just in general, this is me personally. I try to stay positive but realistic. Mm -hmm. So depending on who I'm talking to, I either talk up the show or I don't even recommend it. Interesting. So you are generally just like you would recommend the show, and if you would recommend it, then you kind of try and give only the positives and let everybody else kind of decide as they go along watching the show. Yeah. Give them their free will to come up with their own opinion. <laughs> Very topical. Love it. Uh, what about just the like first season? Because I do think I think it's not a common opinion to have that the first season is by far the strongest. And it's also a really uh, like compelling season of television in my mind. I would definitely recommend just the first season. It, the show starts off really strong, and season one is... I feel like if Westworld was a limited series, I think I would have been okay with just season one. If they had yeah. changed the ending of season one a little bit so that it's not clearly a cliffhanger for season two, I would have been okay with it being just a one-season limited series. Yeah, so I mean besides that last little cliffhanger at the end of season 1, it very this feels like a type of show that wants to be a limited series and then somebody said, "Wow, this is really popular. Let's make it into the next Game of Thrones." And I don't think that this property has the at least in the way that they're telling this story, it doesn't feel like it has enough there or enough novelty after that like the initial premise wears off for us to like continuously come back to this for season after season after season. D do you agree with that? Yes, I do. So is this a show that benefits or suffers in your opinion from binging? I figured I'd ask you since you are the bingeables podcast. <laughs> um, I, so I have not binged this show. I've watched it just week by week when it airs. Mm-hmm. So I've done the same thing, yeah. Yeah. 
So take this with a grain of salt, listener. I think Westworld would benefit from binging. If you want to just wait until it's all over and binge it all in like two weeks or something. <laughs> so like all four <laughs> or five or six seasons or whatever it's going to be in like one giant Lots binge. of people do that now, thanks yeah. to streaming. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, the reason why I say that is because there's just so many cliffhangers and mm -hmm. there's so much that there's so much that goes on in a single episode. Like you're just dying for that next episode if you watch it just week by week like we do. Yeah, and it also I feel like one of the main things for binging that I've noticed is that episodes very much tend to blur together when you binge shows. So if there is a particularly weaker episode or an episode where you wait all week and you're like, oh, I can't wait to see what comes of the Bernard plotline and then Bernard's not even in that episode, that is less of a problem when you're binging. So it can feel almost easier to digest things without having to wait week to week. But I did really love watching season one week to week. I think I'm a little more conflicted about season one than a lot of people. Like some of that stuff was really frustrating, but I did love talking to my friends. Like, what do we think is happening? Do we think that there are insert spoiler here? I almost said something spoilery, but I, I do really like that part of Westworld. It's a, it's a show that does sort of feel like it should be week to week viewing in a way that a lot of TV shows aren't. So, I mean, I, I don't normally review TV shows on the podcast, but um, we do tend to give some, you know, scores out of 10 for movies. So I figured it's a little weird to do for a TV show, especially one that's not completed yet. But if you had to, uh, what would you give Westworld uh, out of 10? Six. Solid six? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I might go just a little lower. Like, no, actually, six is, six is good. Because, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it it still is a very well made show. It's um I don't entirely think that they always know what they're doing, but there is skill on screen and in the cast and uh you can see the craft even if it doesn't always come together. So that alone I think makes Westworld solid TV even if it's not prestige TV like it's kind of trying to be. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and move into spoilers so we can just talk about basically everything of season three. It was definitely a doozy. I will say spoilers for Westworld all the way through season three, starting now. That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. So there's definitely a lot going on in this season, and I doubt that we're going to be able to address all of it, um, at least in a meaningful way. But I just want to know in general, Chinlin, what are your thoughts on how this season compares to the previous two? We know that season one is generally the benchmark for what a good Westworld season is, and I think season two is pretty universally considered not too great. Uh, what about season three for you? So like I briefly mentioned earlier season three is still confusing but it's not as confusing as season two <laughs> so overall it was hard for me to fully enjoy season three as a whole for the first watch through um because we weren't clear on dolores's end game like i was confused is she trying to destroy humanity or is she trying to save it and like what What's the deal with Caleb? I We didn't really have our answers. We didn't really get our answers until the end. Yeah, so I feel like this season was supposed to be less confusing than the other two seasons. I think there was a major course adjustment in response to season two and how people were really unsatisfied with how season two uh, kind of came together at the end. And I think Season two was a response from the creators to people who kind of predicted the major plot twists of season one on Reddit like weeks before they were supposed to. Yeah, I was about to say that. Isaac told me the same story. Um, yeah, he said that um, because people were able to predict stuff in season two on Reddit, the uh, editors or creators or whoever is, is in charge of putting the exact scenes together they went back to intentionally 
confuse us.、Mm-hmm. So it was hard to differentiate the two timelines in season two. Whereas in season one, it was pretty obvious what the timelines were because we had younger William and older William. Right, and so that made season two basically just a mess. Like none of it made sense. And then when they were like, "Oh, this is what actually happens," it doesn't amount to anything because it's not clear enough that you can go back and watch it and say, "Oh, okay, everything、uh, tracks." Once I have that new information, and I think that's what a good twist should do: is it should be a twist that is obvious in hindsight, right? And it's one that should make sense. Before you are told it, if you know what you're looking for, and they made it seem like season three wasn't going to have that, but as you mentioned, it clearly does because there is a last minute reveal that I'm sure we'll talk a lot about、uh, when we talk about the finale. Is that Dolores's endgame turns out to be the opposite of what she's kind of proposing in season two and most of season three? So, do you think that?、Um, It will be easier to enjoy if you were to watch it again, knowing where it ends. Yes, I think if I, not right now, but maybe maybe in a few months or a year from now, when I rewatch season three, because I now know Dolores's endgame, I can look for those clues, or who knows, maybe there were a lack of clues. <laughs> yeah, I feel compelled to think that there may be a lack of clues, but again, I won't. I won't try and be too negative. We will.、Um, let's let's always start with the positives, and let's talk a little bit about what works in this season. What were the parts that you found particularly refreshing、um, in comparison to season two, or things that you thought they kind of nailed? I would say the production design is pretty on par. Every season,、mm-hmm. um, it's just different this season because they're not in the park anymore. So we have more of a futuristic,、uh, minimalist style going on in the backgrounds of our of、uh, the show. Can I ask?、Uh, did you like, or did you like that we left the parks, or did you find yourself missing the parks this season? I was actually glad we left the park because I think two seasons in. The park was enough,、mm-hmm. uh, considering that season two technically only took what two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So season two was kind of a tack on to season one.、Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah.、Um, what else worked for me this season? I really, really enjoyed、uh, William's self therapy scene where he's in the simulation and he's talking to all his past selves.、Uh, I think it's a、uh, there's. Tons of memes online, probably <laughs> about that one scene, but I think it's very effective on and quite literal in how he tackles his demons. Yeah, so William is missing for I think maybe even the first like four episodes of this season, and you can kind of feel just the lack of Ed Harris in those early episodes. I'm not, I guess, I'm not totally sure how you feel in general about like. What parts of this season work and what parts don't? But I thought that the episode where William was facing his own demons literally by talking to himself in a therapy session, I thought that was probably the best episode of the season. All right. So I agree with you on that one.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else worked for me? Having Sirac as the new villain this season definitely worked for me. I. I love Vincent Cassel. He's very talented, also a very sexy middle-aged Frenchman. <laughs> <laughs>、um, I also liked the the stuff with Rehoboam and Solomon、mm-hmm. about having this、uh, very forward-thinking AI. That I feel like, realistically, I can see versions of Rehoboam in the future, but on a much smaller. Smaller, smaller scale. <laughs> yeah, that、uh, maybe maybe large businesses or the government could use for whatever purpose. I can see that concept unfolding in the near future. A lot of what I really liked about this season is the concepts. So conceptually, there's some really fascinating things going on, specifically with Solomon and Rehoboam, who I. Always think sounds like a Pokemon name. I did find out that it's a name from the Bible, but it sounds like 
a Rabombi or something like that. So I always call it Rabombi. I don't know if you know that Pokemon. I actually don't, but you make a good point. It does Rehoboam sounds like a Pokemon name. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I, I really liked those conceptually and the idea of an AI that is like predicting people's movements and people's decision making and the idea that humans are nowhere, no more unpredictable than a robot or something like that. I think that's a really fascinating concept and a concept that I think is could be cool to probe, especially when you start getting into the idea that certain people are outliers. But a lot of the problems that I have with this season is how those concepts are executed. And I think a lot of the execution is really, really lacking for me. Um, so even though I, I do like conceptually what Rehoboam is, is going on about, I don't, I don't know. I just, a lot of that stuff was really difficult for me to care about because there was like a lack of fundamental understanding that the show didn't give us for how did that work? How did that come to be? How is one company controlling the entire world? Things like that. I don't know. Did any of that stuff bother you at all? I do agree with you. Execution was bad. And you can you can tell just based on uh, fan responses. Mm -hmm. And anyone ranting on Reddit can tell you that, <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying not to do is rant like I'm on Reddit. So I'm, I'm glad that you're you're here to keep me in check. Although it is it is okay to rant sometimes because it is your own podcast and it's not like you talk about television that much. That's true. That's so, true. you know, it's okay to rant. <laughs> That's my mantra. It's definitely okay to rant. <laughs> okay, I'm sure I'll get into ranting. I guess before I do that, I will just point out a couple other things that I liked. Um, I thought that Maeve was a lot more compelling in this season to me personally than she has been. I, I don't totally love that she felt kind of like she was, it felt like she was kind of obviously being manipulated by Sorak, but I think a lot of her movements around the board and her interactions with people like Hector and uh, what's his name, the the guy, the the British guy. Oh, oh, uh, Lee Sizemore. Yeah, Sizemore. Yeah, um, I really liked their kind of whole little mini thing that happens on the side. So I enjoyed watching Maeve in this season. And then I also really liked that first Maeve versus Dolores showdown. And that's getting back to where you say that the action scenes are really cool in this show. So which showdown did you like? Because Maeve and Dolores had like three towards the end. And honestly, none of them worked for me. So I liked the one that ended with a pretty deus ex machina. Uh, what do you call it? An EMP or maybe it's a Chekhov's EMP. The one in the warehouse where they're kind of like doing martial arts, but they're also using these machines that they have coded to kind of shoot at each other. I thought that one was pretty fun. Do you disagree? Okay, okay. So the the one right before the finale. Yeah. I I, I enjoyed it as well. Um, I think the only thing that bothered me was... Um, Aren't they controlling their own drones? Like, if you if you can control your own drone, how are you missing shots? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just a nitpicky thing. Because, like, if if you're a highly advanced host with this technology in the near future, I feel like you should not be missing any of your bullets. I think this show has a larger problem where the kind of future world and these future robots and everything works in a very narrow scope when you're like in a park and you don't have to think too much about the repercussions of what that technology brings to the world. Mm -hmm. But every time you have a sci-fi show like this, where there is this like fascinating new technological advancement and everything, you start to wonder, okay, how does that affect the world? And I don't think that this show does a very good job at keeping a consistent internal, internal logic when it's, talking about things like this because yeah you're right you have these super smart robots but then they also get foiled by really dumb things and they miss shots and sometimes they're bulletproof but sometimes they're not and at what point do we stop caring about money if everybody is on the same like is on a predetermined path and you know I, the, there's a lot of things in this show that really bother me because we are now being exposed to the um the over the world uh, at large. Yeah. 
Um, but so you mentioned that there's a couple other showdowns in the season finale. So did those ones not work for you at all? I think I think the showdowns in the finale didn't work for me because it felt like the same story over and over. Mm-hmm. Dolores versus Maeve. Also, Maeve kept using her katana, which I liked maybe five five seconds of it at the beginning, and now it just feels kind of outdated mm-hmm. because everyone else is using guns, which I understand it's quicker. But <laughs> and they want they want Maeve to stand out, so she's got a katana, and it kind of uh, pays a tribute to Musashi in season two. I get that, but realistically, I mean. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, didn't Musashi show up uh, in last episode? And she along is, is Musashi the um, the like the Maeve or the Dolores version? Yeah. Yeah. Dolores made a copy of herself and a copy of Musashi's body and put her mind, her copy in it. So we saw Musashi in like two episodes this season. Mm-hmm. And actually the actor who plays him is a really famous uh, Japanese actor and I really like his work in other stuff. Well, so um, who was the other, the like the Maeve version in Shogun World who shows up in the last scene who kills Musashi in, in uh, episode seven? Oh, Hana Rio. Okay, so she shows up with um what's her name? Clementine in that episode mm-hmm. and they are nowhere to be seen in this episode. That's actually something I liked. I like that they brought back the older characters to come on even if it was just for a cameo in these episodes. Okay. Um I understand that they're doing it primarily for fan service, but it's it, it's just nice considering that we're, we're we're most likely never going back to the park. My boy Teddy didn't show up though. Oh, they couldn't. They didn't want to pay James Marsden. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he did show up in a flashback uh, that Dolores had when she was being like Matrix sucked into Rabombi or whatever. But uh, let's let's kind of talk a little bit about the season finale. Then um, the season finale for me personally was a complete bomb. I was. Very disappointed by it. I thought that 90% of what happened was completely unearned. And a lot of what was happening was like this, like, oh, now Maeve can suddenly go against Sirak because of reasons and because she has to. And oh, now suddenly Dolores is hooked up to Rubambi and she can now give control to Caleb and all of these things that like, okay, well, sure, I guess that happens now. What were your thoughts on the finale in general? I think like one third of it was riot scenes Yep. <laughs> or and or action scenes, which didn't, the action scenes in the show are excellent. Like I said that before, I'll repeat it again. But my favorite parts about the show aren't the action. It's the emotional stuff. It's the philosophical stuff. Um, so it didn't really work for me. And I guess you don't really see payoff for the season in- until the very end, where we actually have Sirak, Dolores, Maeve, Caleb, all in one room with Rehoboam. Yeah, um, so in that scene, we kind of get these last minute reveals, right? That, I mean, I, I don't even know if I can say them all out because they don't really make sense. But like Aaron Paul's character, Caleb, is suddenly you find out that he actually did meet Dolores earlier, uh, which finally answers the question that we're having this whole time throughout the season of like, why do we give a shit about this guy? And more specifically, why does Dolores give a shit about this random guy? What does he have that any other random person on the street doesn't? All of that stuff. Um, one, you said that it it kind of finally pays off at the end with that scene. Were you satisfied by that payoff? A little bit, because okay. uh, remember in the first episode at the very end where uh, Caleb finds Dolores in the underpass and she's in uh, she's in quote unquote pain. Mm-hmm. She kind of just falls into his arms. So later in the season, we realize that Dolores chose Caleb. And 
in my mind, I was thinking that's so contradictory because how did you choose him if you were going, if you were in the process of executing a plan with another character and then just happened to come across Caleb in the underpass in the first episode? But, you know, as we now know, Dolores was playing a really, really, really long game and planned everything out accordingly. So she didn't choose Caleb. Well, at least she did choose Caleb, but we didn't know that until the very end. Okay. And so do you think that that reveal works then? That It works for me because we finally know where exactly they met. Right. Yeah, I guess for me, it doesn't work because, I mean, I I guess it would have worked if we had had that information a little earlier. But I think, I mean, I get the point that it's supposed to be cryptic and it's, you know, there is a part of the show that is fun to kind of theorize and try and figure out what's going on. And, you know, you do need a certain level of mystery in science fiction shows and things like that. So I understand not just like spelling everything out in the first episode. That's not what I'm looking for. I guess I don't know totally what I'm looking for, but it just feels like this reveal is something that would have been nice to know about earlier in the show so that we know why Dolores cares about Caleb at all. Because for the entire show... I was watching Caleb, and I mean, Aaron Paul is a great actor, but it felt like the only reason I cared about his character was because it was Aaron Paul, not because the show gave me any actual reason to care about Caleb in the show. That's actually a really good point, um, because I didn't really care about Caleb either. I just thought he was kind of along for Dolores's ride because they just happened to come across each other in the first uh, episode of the season. Um, but I do agree with you. If we had, if, if the writers had revealed how slash where they met originally or just a little bit earlier before the finale, I think it would have helped develop more of their relationship in a more coherent mm-hmm. way. Because at this point, they're just saving reveals for the sake of reveals for the finale. Right. And and like it, it's almost like this show again and again chooses to have a reveal over a cohesive story. And I think another example of that is sort of the whole mystery behind Caleb and how he's actually an outlier and stuff. I really like, again, like I said, I really like that outlier theory and the concept of it. And I even like that there is some sort of doubt in Caleb's mind about what actually happened because he had all of these therapy things done to him and everything like that. But it felt like that whole episode where we're revealing that just took way too long to get to the pretty obvious conclusion that, oh, Caleb actually killed his friend instead of somebody else killing his friend. You know, and I feel like this show has a pretty tough time miscalculating how much we care about intrigue over caring about the characters themselves. It makes me wonder, what if they had put off William's story just a little bit longer? What if we had focused more at the beginning of the season on Caleb and Dolores? Yeah. And then, because William's story didn't have a meaningful impact until the second half, right? It seems like it's almost going to be next season's thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I think Ed Harris came on screen like the third or fourth episode, which is basically halfway since the season was only eight episodes. Right. But I feel like if they had just postponed William's story, just maybe an extra episode so that we had more time for the Caleb story at the beginning, that would have been better in the long run, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. I, and I think that like they had a really good opportunity with Caleb to have a character that can sort of be the audience surrogate because this show is consistently one where there's not really a protagonist. You could kind of argue that Maeve is a protagonist. You could kind of argue that Bernard is a pro- protagonist. But on some level, they are all machines and there's are very few redeemable human characters. And I think that Caleb would have been a very 
great addition to that. And by kind of shrouding him in all this mystery, you, you don't we don't really know who Caleb is. We don't we don't really understand what makes him tick or anything. So that at the end they try and do this pump fake reveal that he's an evil person and that's why she chose him, but actually he's good. It's like none of that really worked for me because I didn't know who I was dealing with in the first place. Oh, okay. Got it. <laughs> so I mean on that note, do you know we finish this season with Caleb essentially having a fight club ending of watching the world go to shit and now he's gonna be the John Carter or John Connor of this world and lead the rebellion and stuff. Do you want to see him in future seasons? Like are you now excited for the Aaron Paul character? No, my level of excitement for for Caleb is still about the same. <laughs> Okay. Uh, uh, I know I I know you're a huge Breaking Bad fan, so um <laughs> I did not do not mean to offend you or Aaron Paul in any way. Um No, I mean, but that's the thing is I think this show is almost relying on people being huge Breaking Bad fans, but I agree with you. Like, yeah, I like Aaron Paul. I like him as Jesse, but I don't give two shits about Caleb. Uh and I think in a show like this, you really, really need to care about the one character that isn't superpowered, you know? That, and I think Caleb is your everyman. And he went from being your everyman, who was also an outlier, to now having to be a leader of this uh, revolution to fight for humanity. Mm-hmm. It's a huge jump. I, I guess I'm just not buying it, but. I I don't mind it right now because he has Maeve by his side. So you think that she'll kind of help usher him into like a leadership role that it, so does Dolores not continue like do you think she's like good as dead? I think I think her character is dead because her memories are erased. Mm-hmm. But I also think cuz no one really dies in this show, so right. they, they're always able to bring back a host in a certain way, whether it's through flashbacks or someone making copies of themselves but using another person's body. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think Dolores as a character, we're not going to see her interact with the other characters anymore, unless it's through flashback or maybe, maybe in a simulation. Mm-hmm. However... I, I know I've heard I've heard rumors about how we know for sure there's going to be a season four, but I also heard rumors of how they might have a season five and six. Yeah. So if if this show is going to be longer than four seasons, I think we will see Dolores again, but maybe not in season four. Okay. However, if there is only going to be four seasons and season four is absolutely the last one, then yes, I think we'll see more of Dolores just in flashback or simulation format. And maybe she'll play a huge part in the series finale if season four is the last season. Yeah. Okay. So I guess let's kind of talk a little bit about what we think is going to happen in season four. But before we do that, I guess I just want to know what your favorite and your least favorite parts of this specific season were. I'm sure we probably touched on some of them, but how about we'll start with favorites. My favorite uh, aspect of this season is definitely Ciroc as a villain. I think he is a very solid, fleshed out villain with a good backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, We learn what happened to his home in Paris when he was a boy, when he and his brother were just boys. I think I would have, we only had eight, eight, I mean, we only had eight episodes, so there wouldn't have been enough time, but it would have been nice to see just a little more flashback of how Serac came from, turned from an innocent boy into this programmer slash coder in his 20s into this uh, middle-aged, guy who's in who's uh in charge of this ai machine that he and his brother built but he's also like playing the fields with some uh politicians in other countries to make certain events happen for the <laughs> sake of humanity 
Like, we, we, we get snippets of Sir Rock's uh, backstory, and it would have been nice to, like, have it connect the dots more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of, like, here's step A and here's step B, and now we're at step Z. And they don't really fill in a lot of those basic things. Like, they give you enough so that you can kind of, in your head, wave away a lot of that stuff. So it's like, oh, okay, I get his motivation. It's enough. But do we ever really fully understand how he and his brother were smart enough to come up with this thing? Like, I mean, he seems like a smart guy, but is he really able to come up with an algorithm or some sort of machine learning device that can predict human beings nature. It just, there, there's a lot of disconnects for me in that, but I do, I do, I did like Serac as a villain in general. Also, he was what, seven or eight when, when he experienced that bomb that, that well, when he and his brother saw that bomb that wiped out his hometown, Mm -hmm. like he wasn't, was he an orphan or something? Like, did he even have the money to, like, get educated in, like, this programming and right. coding? <laughs> like, I'm just, think, think, I'm just thinking realistically. Like, how did he get from that point to how we see him now? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, so I guess my favorite part is, we already talked about it, but I really did love that William therapy session. Uh, I thought that was kind of Westworld at its greatest, just exploring identity and how you see yourself and you know there was a lot of really thematic things in that scene of which William was the true William and did the park corrupt him or did he corrupt the park and it kind of harkened back to some of the thematic stuff in season one that I thought was really really effective so while that scene didn't really have too much of an impact on this season maybe it will in the next season but um you know, I just as a piece of television, it was really fun to watch Ed Harris argue with himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it was it was really nice to have uh, his father-in-law back. Yeah, Logan Delos. Oh, wait, wait. Logan was um his brother-in-law. Oh. What is what is the James Delos? James Delos, right. Yeah. Yeah, that was getting name. it mixed up because he does remind me so much of Logan Roy from Succession. <laughs> uh what was your least favorite part of the show my least favorite part of the show was the reveal that dolores actually made copies of herself mm-hmm. and put herself into these other hosts because at the end of season two like that was the big cliffhanger that we were all discussing for two years right like who do we think she brought over from westworld to the outside world Mm-hmm. And it felt like the writers took a cop out from a, from a storytelling standpoint by having Dolores just make copies of, her, of herself. Now, thinking more about it, it probably made more sense from a production or budget standpoint because the other copies of herself, the other actors who were involved, they just had much, much less screen time. So maybe it was maybe it had to do with like how much money they were able to pay this actor to come in for like this scene and right. how many episodes they can come on, how long can their scenes be because um Musashi was only back for like two episodes and he didn't have that many scenes in the two episodes he was in. Uh Lawrence was in a cameo in the finale and that was it. <laughs> and then um Connell's was in what two or three episodes he was very he was in the first episode for sure but he wasn't a Delorei copy at that point yet until the end <laughs> yeah Delorei the plural of Dolores's <laughs> uh, yeah I mean I think from a storytelling perspective I guess this one doesn't bother me too much because it actually sort of makes sense that a deranged Dolores would think that the only person that she can trust is herself. Um, But then I guess that doesn't totally track with the reveal at the end of the show is that she's actually not deranged and she apparently wants to save the world, um, which I thought was kind of out of nowhere. So I guess my whole logic for 
how this makes sense is thrown into the air because of the ending. So, you know, um, my least favorite part was definitely the episode entitled Genre. Um, <laughs> I believe this was maybe episode four or five. And in this scene, Caleb trips because one somebody gives him a drug as kind of like a self-defense measure. And the drug is called Genre. And essentially what it does is it puts an iPhone filter on your life so that you kind of feel like you're in a different genre of a movie, like every 30 minutes or something. And what they do with that is just so boring. I found that like everything in that episode, they were trying to be really slick and cool and they were trying to make everything feel like it was this high concept sci-fi thing, but either the budget or just the lack of imagination or the execution or whatever got in the way of that. And I just thought it was really, really boring and uninspired all the way around. And in the middle of that, you've got a car chase with these self-driving cars, which should be really cool, but the cars are driving like 20 miles per hour in max acceleration. And it just, everything about that episode I thought was was really, really wonky and weak for me. It felt like they were trying too hard, trying too hard not to be Westworld. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I looked up on IMDb really quick. Uh, genre was the fifth episode. Mm-hmm. And um, I agree with you. I did not like the the genre aspects of that episode either. It was actually the same episode where we learn about Sorak's backstory. So I think that was the only thing I liked out of that episode. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Although, since you brought up genre, I do want to say this. The reason why I don't like it, not just because I felt like they were trying too hard to be cool, but there were a few scenes where they were hinting that Caleb was falling in love with Dolores, and I absolutely hated that idea. (laughs) Because if they were going to go through with that, they should have started it sooner. And also, it's just falling into the same television trope that we've seen for decades. Yeah, and I think it might have been interesting if they had the idea to like dismantle that a little bit and maybe be like, oh, look, Caleb is only doing these things because she's a pretty blonde, right? But they clearly weren't going with that. So yeah, that would have been a huge mistake to make there be any sort of like relationship between the two or anything like that. So I'm glad Mm -hmm. they kept that separate. Yeah. All right. So like you mentioned, season four is definitely announced. There is potentially season five and even season six based on success or whatever. Are you excited for more seasons of Westworld? Uh, No, I really want them to finish it with the fourth (laughs) season. I think we're at a we're at a point in the story where they can finish this in one season. I don't want them to rush it like Game of Thrones did. (laughs) But, you know, like, give us give us more than eight episodes, like give us the full 10. Take your time to finish telling this story in a in a coherent manner that we all enjoy. Yeah, I don't even know if I'm going to watch season four anymore, to be honest. Like, I, the first half of the season, I was like, I think I'm done with this. And then there was one episode where I was like, oh, okay, I, I see where they're going with this now. This is going to be exciting. And then that season finale, I was just, I just felt like that was probably the last little bit of care for this show for me like I just I don't know if I can keep watching this show and right when season four was announced my girlfriend sent me this tweet that somebody had tweeted uh Luis Peitzman on Twitter he said HBO renewed Westworld for another season which is great news for Westworld fans and terrible news for those of you who have been cursed to continue watching a show you hate until it's over and that really hit me hard (laughs) um Because, like, I want to see how this show ends. I really do. And there are genuinely good moments that I really enjoy in this show. But, like, I don't know if I can keep watching the same, like, pretty depressing and pretty muddled storytelling. So I I just want to make a comment about what you just said. 
You're saying you're you don't want to watch season four, but you're saying that now after season three has just ended and you're still frustrated with season three. So there's a little bit of recency bias with how you feel right now. And I'm the same way too. I'm still frustrated with season three, but eventually I'm going to rewatch it. And now two years later, when season four, hopefully two years later, when season four comes out (laughs) and all that hype is buzzing again, you're going to be like, huh, Maybe I'll give it another try. Hopefully it's last season and then everyone else is going to be watching it and you're going to feel left out for not watching it. So you're going to watch it and then you'll either thank yourself or, you know, not thank yourself for watching it. (laughs) Yeah. You know what that's called? That's called the cycle of abuse. I'm going to forgive this show. I'm going to forget that it disappointed me. I'm going to go in with doe-eyed optimism and be like, I'm sure this show is finally knows what it's doing again, and then it's just going to smack me in the face with more confusion. Oh, God. I don't know if I can do that to myself, Chinlin. I'll do it. <laughs> I admire your optimism. Uh, so, I mean, where do you think this show is going to go next then? You saw the post credit scene, right? Yes. I had to go back and watch it. I did not know there was one. So I watched it this morning. Oh, my God. So uh, when the credits came on, I actually left the room because uh, I had to go check on my my pet hamster. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I went back into the room and the post credit scene was just starting. And I was like, oh, man, I can't believe I would have missed this if I didn't (laughs) come back to this room. Okay, so I watched it and I really liked it. So my prediction for season four, having seen the post credit scene, is that Charlora's is going to defeat humanity with uh, all of her robots, and somehow host William is going to turn against her and team up with Bernard to rebuild human civilization. Oh, and uh, defeat Charlora's, of course. <laughs> so you mentioned here kind of in the show notes that uh, host William recalls season two finale. So you think that that last little bumper at the end of season two, which we see William waking up in what is appears to be some very, very distant future, right? Uh, you think that that's actually still canon and that's the thing that we're going to be going to in season four? Yes. Okay. And I guess that does... Uh, align well with we see Bernard waking up you know he's filled with dust too um, at the end of this finale which I thought would have been a nicer uh, credit scene as just that and I think that the the William and the the Charloris stuff felt like it was so long that it should have been in the episode somewhere but yeah I mean it's cool to see that William is now really evil and I'm sure they're gonna make a robot like another robot William that is like all of William's goodness, or maybe they're going to bring back young William to fight old William. I could see that happening. So there's some definitely some cool stuff that can still happen, but um, you know, I may not be there to see it. So let's just finish out with one last question that I think is kind of just a silly question. Cause like you said, I'm pretty sure we're not going back to the parks, but if we were to, uh, what is one world that you would like us to still visit? Um, this is this is not show canon at all. This is just an idea that would be nice, but I it's it doesn't fit with the genre of the show. Um, I would like to see a myth world. I am really into Greek mythology. I loved reading those stories growing up. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that actually got me to enjoy reading in middle school and high school. <laughs> Because in elementary, I actually didn't really enjoy reading. So I really like stories of like um, Oedipus. I like stories about um, the Trojan War. Just like little things about Athena and Artemis. I just love Greek mythology. Like I can go on and on about it. Um, So I think it it would be nice to see something like that. But like I said, it's not show canon, so it's it's never going to happen. It's just a fantasy. <laughs> I think that'd be so cool, though. I, I completely agree. I love Greek mythology. It's 
so cool that it's like the original superhero mythology. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that would be so fun to explore. And I think there was a version of this show that could have been really cool where they just hopped around to different parks and told self-contained stories within each of these parks, sort of, um, with new characters and stuff. That's obviously not the direction they went, but um, I could have really enjoyed a myth world for sure. My answer is Space World. Um, I don't know. That'd be cool. I, I actually have no idea how that would work or anything like that, but I think it would be make for some pretty cool production design. And, you know, we already know that they launch rockets into space. We saw those um, in this season. So they're definitely out there exploring space. So it might be cool to see what uh, space travel is like in this uh, future world. So I'm going to take a quick moment to tell you how I see it in my head. Space world. Okay. Shoot. Delos buys an island or something and builds this warehouse, this gigantic warehouse that they uh, turn into this anti-gravity container. And so people who are coming to Space World, they get on this fake spaceship and they simulate them like (laughs) riding on a spaceship. And so when they get out of the spaceship, they're in they're out in outer space and then they get the they get the astronaut suits and stuff and then they can explore the different planets. Yeah, that would be cool. And then they can kill all aliens because apparently that's the thing that rich people do at Westworld and the Delos parks is they just kill oh, everything God. and have sex with everything. Yeah, you just made it depressing for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You you don't I mean, we also know that there are child friendly storylines and things like that. They mentioned that at one point in season one or two. So we can <laughs> we can go enjoy PG Space World. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our point two section where we talk just briefly about some of the other stuff that we've been watching. So Chinlin, I'm sure like me, you have a ton of time on your hand. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, so I, there are only two shows I'm recently uh, binging on. Uh, the first one is uh, ABC's uh, family comedy, American Housewife. I I really like the comedies on ABC, so uh, Modern Family is over now. I am all caught up with Blackish and Mixedish, so I found another comedy to watch, and um, it's about a it's about a a, a woman who is also a housewife, and she and her family live in this super, super rich town in Connecticut. And they're they're not the poorest family, but compared to the people that they interact with, they're, they appear to be the poorest, even though they're okay. just probably like middle class, middle, middle class or something. It's really funny. Um... I mean, there's nothing super special about it. It's just another family comedy that I can play in the background and not have to, like, do deep analysis for. Mm -hmm. I can just enjoy it purely for enjoyment and um, laugh at it. And then the other show I'm binging is actually a rewatch of uh, Parks and Recreation. It's the next um, TV show that I'm going to talk about on the Bingeables podcast. Awesome. So yeah, I've I've never heard of American Housewife, but I am always looking for like a light show that you can turn on while, you know, working from home or something that doesn't demand too much attention. Is it a period piece? Uh it's actually uh here and it's in modern time. Oh, okay. Okay. And there's actually they're currently on their fourth season, so they're wrapping oh, wow. up. I watched seasons one to three in like a week, a week and a <laughs> half. Like it's it's to me, it's that good so that I just keep playing it in the background. Um, if you have access to uh, Hulu, it's on Hulu, so you can watch it there. Okay. And where's Parks and Rec now? Is that still on Netflix or is it off oh, at yeah. this point? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's still on Netflix. Okay. And are you going to check out the uh, new episode that they created kind of in response to the COVID crisis? Yes, it's on my to-watch list for uh, this week. Okay, awesome. I actually never finished Parks and Rec. I think I got all the way to the last season, and that's the one that kind of hops into the future by five years, right? I think it was three or four years, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I I totally missed that last season, so maybe this is a good time. So I'll have a good podcast to listen to, and I can just uh, rewatch all the Parks and Rec. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) 
what I've been watching is I got to check out the HBO original film, Bad Education. Please join me in welcoming to the stage our district superintendent and my friend, Frank Tassel. In Long Island, the town is only as good as its public schools. The better the school system, the higher the price tag on the homes. These are the best early decision numbers that we've ever seen. I wanted to make a difference. I got us all the way to number four, and I will get us to number one. Get us to first. That's all that matters. Hey, Frank. Yeah? I've been doing some digging. I'm concerned with what I found. Have you heard about this? I actually have not. Okay, so this is a film about a superintendent, a superintendent uh, of a Long Island school district, and he was at the center of a the largest embezzlement scandal in public school history. So this is uh, like a based on a true story kind of crime story ish drama. Uh, it's directed by Corey Finley, who did Thoroughbreds, and it stars Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney, and. I think this film is really, really good. Uh, some people are calling it like one of the best films of 2020. I would agree with that. Those people are me. <laughs> I think it's a pretty straightforward story, but it's really captivating. And I think the performances are fantastic. Both Jackman and Janie, they have really good chemistry. And I think Jackman in particular is really, really good as the main protagonist. And he gets a lot more to do. And a lot of things that kind of play to his strengths compared to movies that he normally does, like the Wolverine and things like that. And I think because this is a weak year, given the COVID crisis, I think he does have a good shot at getting best actor for this. Oh, okay. So you think it's Oscar, Oscar worthy for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is definitely a film that would go under the radar in a year that has normal theater releases, you know, but the Oscars mm -hmm. did just release a statement saying that Streaming service movies are eligible, and I think that this one has enough good press, and I think the performances are genuinely genuinely that good that I could see this being at the Oscars in whatever capacity that ends up being. But yeah, I just I just think it's a really, really good show, and I don't want to compare it to Westworld too much because, you know, they're completely different, but given that they're both HBO, I think it's interesting that in this story... There's enough twists and turns in the story that it keeps you interested, and it there are some genuinely surprising things if you don't actually know the true story that it's based off of, but you never feel lost during the film, so it's not like you're just waiting for it to all make sense at the end of the story. Like Everything comes together really well, but throughout the entire story, you're like, I understand what's going on. I get the gist of what's happening. And so I think that compartmentalization and the dissemination of the information to the audience is really well-paced and very efficient in this story. So I just thought it was a really great and pleasant and basically just a well-made film. So I would definitely recommend it for people who have HBO. All right. So I don't know if you watch movies or if you just binge TV shows, but if you wanted a break from uh, Parks and Rec, would definitely recommend Bad Education. Okay, I'll look more into it. <laughs> All right, so this has been our review of season three of the HBO show Westworld. Chinlin, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I hope we can collaborate again soon. And uh, right now is usually when I ask if there's anything that my guests would like to plug. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you again for having me. This is a lot of fun. Uh, for your listeners, uh, you can find my podcast, The Bingeables Podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Google's Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, pretty much all the major places that you listen to podcasts. If you want to um, interact with us, we are on Twitter at Bingeables Pod. I don't have, we don't have Facebook or Instagram just because it's a lot of social media for me to handle. <laughs> yeah. We also have an email where you can email us if you have questions or want to collaborate. Our email address is bingeablespod at gmail.com. Great. And I will be sure to provide all of those links in the show notes as usual. Thanks so much. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at incompetech.com. 
If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when we release new episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie, M-A-R-A, pod. And you can always reach out to us at our email, MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast on Podbean at MovieMarathoners.Podbean.com. And we are also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. So please subscribe or write a review if you like what we're doing, and any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time when I am joined by Amy of Films with Amy to talk about the top five Disney animated films of all time. So until then, bye. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.